Welcome to The Breakdown with Bradcorp and Becky, a weekly podcast that breaks down politics, policy, and current affairs. I'm Michael Broadcorb. And I'm Becky Scher. In this episode, we're pleased to welcome Representative Ann New Brindley for the entirety of the episode focused on the Minnesota legislature. To start, Representative New Brindley will help us break down the end of the legislative session and the DFL antics in the final days. We will then break down the massive spending spree and what is included in the $72 billion budget, as well as the tax hikes that will be going to going into effect to fund the new spending. And lastly, we will break down where Republicans go from here and how we can can prepare for the next legislative session in another election cycle just around the corner. Finally, we'll end the show with our typical tweets of the week and the food fight with Broadcorp and Becky. And this week, we have decided to allow our special guest join in on the fight. Topic of this week, breakfast foods. We're excited for you to be joining us as we head into this beautiful Memorial Day weekend, and we hope you enjoy this week's episode. Well, it's been a week since we recorded. Uh, you had a birthday. I hope it was a wonderful birthday. It was a wonderful birthday. You know, our, our birthday celebrations have changed a little bit now that we have a, a little nugget here with us. Um, but, you know, instead of uh, having a wild and crazy night out, uh, we hit up a brewery for child story and song time on Sunday, had a couple beers before noon, hit up a food truck and, you know, had enjoyed some time on the couch uh, during nap time. So solid little weekend for me. You had a much more exciting weekend than I had. I'm I'm still uh, convalescing at home. I got a, I saw a little baseball, but I've been getting a lot of screen time. Uh, not too much screen time. But you know what I've really been getting into is this TV show called The Love Boat. Um, are you familiar with The Love Boat? The new version or like oh, no. the old version? This is the original. Ooh, throwback. So I, I'm going to – Yeah, I've been watching um, – on Paramount Plus, a lot of Love Boat. And so uh, it's really an interesting show. It's a good uh, kind of uh, kind of mindless show to watch. Uh, at a future episode, uh, I could probably do an entire segment on the questions and concerns I have about the show now. Uh, but it's it's uh, I got the theme in my head. Uh, my family's, I think, in a little annoyed by it being on all the time or the limited amount of time I can watch TV when I can. And it's it's the subject that I'm watching. But I'm a, a big fan of Love Boat. I don't remember watching it when I was a kid, but boy, it's got me hooked right now. Dang, you took my joke. I was gonna gonna ask if it was one of your favorites back in the day, but no, no, you didn't yeah, watch it. it. Come on. I think it was. I've looked it up on Wikipedia. I think it came out when I was around four or five years old. So um, I'm not. I did. I wasn't. wasn't spending a lot of time watching uh, the Love Boat when I was a kid. Uh, but uh, I'm watching it now, and it's great. So I'm very excited for this show. I'm excited. We're gonna have. A representative Andrew Brindley on. I think she's fantastic. I look forward to the discussion. Same here. Let's get to it. Now to officially welcome this week's guest, Representative Ann New Brindley. Representative New Brindley lives in North Branch, Minnesota, and was elected in 2017. From 2019 to 2022, New Brindley held the position of Deputy Minority Leader. She is currently serving in her fourth term and sits on the Health, Finance, and Policy Committee, Commerce, Finance, and Policy Committee, and is the Republican lead on the Human Services Finance Committee. 
Prior to serving in the state legislature, New Brindley was a political operative and strategist. She is no stranger to being the underdog and coming out on top, as she was Chip Cravac's campaign manager in 2010 when he took down Democrat Congressman Jim Oberstar. And due to her efforts on this campaign, she helped turn Minnesota's 8th District Red for the first time in 76 years. We are excited to talk all things legislature and end of session. So welcome, Representative. Thanks for being here with us. I'm so excited. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So session is officially done. We want to kick it off. We're going to break down the DFL antics in the end of session here. So you had a front row seat. You were in the thick of it. Why don't you just kind of give us a breakdown of what the last, you know, in particular two, three days, week looked like and and everything that you and your fellow Republicans had to had to go through? Well, you know, and frankly, the last two or three days, weeks, I think um, are not particularly remarkable. I mean, I think happened was what everyone expected to happen. I mean, you would assume that with the DFL trifecta, that they're going to get their work done on time, they're going to pass bills. I guess the only thing that is at all interesting is that it took them as long as it did. Um, And that, you know, I mean, there were there were some priorities for a lot of Democrats that that fell apart a little bit at the end, particularly, you know, the nurses at the bedside act, as we like to call it, the nurse ratio bill. so I, I think the only thing remarkable there really is maybe that it took as long as it did for them to come to consensus on some of the items uh, that they did. I think that I think the bigger issue is just looking throughout session. You know, I've served in the minority for the last four years prior to this session, um, but we had uh, Republicans in the Senate, obviously, as, as a backstop. And so, so for the last four years, we've watched Democrats pass very ideological bills that were not ready for prime time. And I think the thing that was surprising to me this year is that I assumed that when they could pass bills that would actually become law, that they would fix them and at least make them work. Uh, but the the problems that that have been passed into this into into law this session are pretty remarkable. As as some of the things that we were talking about, it appears as though some of them were essentially half-baked. They weren't ready for prime time, and there are going to be unintended consequences that we see because of that. And two that came to mind for me, um, the Uber Lyft bill, which we saw, you know, even Latz, you know, say he was passing out a committee, but he didn't think it was ready to be passed out a committee. And then another charitable gambling and all of the repercussions that could have for, you know, booster clubs, teams, VFWs and, you know, the like across the board. Um, are, are, are there any others, are those or any others that really come to mind that you think may have some unintended consequences or or some, you know, repercussions that, that were not, you know, well thought out and had they taken their time may have had different results? Yeah, I think that, I think that these kinds of problems are tucked into almost every every Democrat bill that was passed. You know, I mean, I, may, I gave an example yesterday in the health bill. I mean, there's all of the obvious tax increases that the Democrats put into play. Uh, but then there's all these hidden taxes, because if if the government does not have to pay for it directly, then it's not accounted for in the bills that we pass, in the fiscal notes that we use uh, to figure out how much money we need for each of these bills. But things like all of the mandates in the health bill that was passed, 
that's going to cost Minnesotans $1,000 a year for an average family of four. It's a lot of money. And that's this hidden tax that we don't talk about. We don't talk about those kinds of things. So there's lots of those kinds of things. Frankly, I think the cannabis bill, regardless of where people are on, on legalization, I think that there are a lot of problems with it. They fixed some of those problems. Um, but I think, I think primarily we want to decriminalize addiction, right? I think broad support for decriminalizing addiction and substance use. Uh, however, we brought the penalties down so far for anything involving, involving marijuana that what we've seen in other states is they don't care about the high levels of taxation. They, they don't care about those things. Those things don't drive the black market. What drives the black market and, and and these are studies from like Rutgers University, like these are not half-baked, like right-wing conservative things. What they have found drives the black market is the the lack of risk. When 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 you're not decriminalizing the production, or excuse me, when you're not allowing criminal penalties or minimizing criminal penalties for production and distribution, the the benefits just outweigh the risks for people to participate in the black market. So I think there are, I think that there are these sort of problems baked into most of the Democrat bills session. So one of the things, you know, we've had a couple other um, members, both sides of the aisle, both chambers on. Um, and, and one thing we heard from a lot of the Republican uh, members that we talked about was the speed of things being pushed through and Republicans and, and even the public uh, testimony uh, being cut out of the process. Do you think a lot of that impacted some of these unintended, you know, repercussions that that we're going to see? Do you think had Republicans been involved, if we had, um, if, if you were able to be part of the conference committees or just even, you know, part of, of the structuring of the bills, some of that would have would have been ironed out? For sure. And I think that this was a big deal throughout all of session. I mean, this happened in committees. It happened at the end of session. And the reality is no one does things perfectly and people miss stuff all the time. And I would find that, you know, when we would sit in committee and talk about things and I'd say, you know, and, and, and sometimes it's little things. Should this shall be a may actually? Would, would that actually make better legislation? And you know what? When we are all around the table looking at things critically, I understand the Democrats are going to pass bills that fit their ideology. I get that. But when you have all eyes on those bills, you're going to get a better product. You just are. Um, you know, I mean, there was there was one bill that I actually liked. I, I think Representative Kraft was carrying this bill. And uh, through committee work and asking questions, we realized that there was a paragraph that allowed something to happen that really was unintended by all parties. But had we not had that conversation, that back and forth in committee, nobody would have found it. So yeah, it's better when we're all around the table doing this. It's, it's, it is dangerous to legislate in, in sort of a, a silo and, and not take input from us. Having been in the minority, is this more extreme than you've seen over the last bit? I mean, have things changed this session versus your previous, you know, five or six that you've been a part of? For sure. It's very different. And and I get that. I mean, I think that everyone expected it. I don't think anyone expected 
just exactly what the pace would be. I mean, frankly, you know, I mean, if there's ever a Republican trifecta, we should learn. I mean, boy, did the Democrats make use of the opportunity to do that? Um, and they hit the they hit the ground running immediately and did not stop. The pace of this session was very strange, very fast. Um, and and we were dealing with huge pieces of legislation very early on, which frankly is complex. You know, for 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 the Democrats, they're drafting these bills. They're writing this legislation. They know all the ins and outs of these bills. But as Republicans, frankly, we're not let in on the secret. And so we don't always know what's happening until a bill hits two days later, it's being heard in committee. It might be, I mean, that cannabis bill was 300 pages long and we've got to digest all of that information and be prepared for committee work almost immediately. Like the the pace was really relentless this session. Uh, We've never seen anything like it. And frankly, everyone agrees with that across the board, Republicans, Democrats, you know, advocates, whatever, everyone across the board agrees that we've never seen anything. And frankly, I get it. The Democrats were able to to do a lot of things ideologically for their party. Um, But again, I don't know that it gave us the best final product because of that. One of the points that the Democrats have made is that they finished their work on time. Do you think their desire to finish on time produced the best product? And do you think there will be any need for any type of special session to clean anything up. Um, They're patting themselves on the back for getting their work done on time, which they did. Uh, On a previous episode of the show, Becky and I, I kind of compared it to a a kid who is kind of waiting to do his homework until the last minute. So he spends a lot of time on the cover of the work and ignores kind of the actual work that was done. I know they're high-fiving themselves a lot about the policy, but do you think there'll be any need for a course correction or edits uh, to this session that will require a special session? I think it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Uh, certainly, if, frankly, I think it's kind of a funny thing to to pat yourself on the back over it. You, you got your work done on time. Frankly, Minnesotans don't care. As long as it's done before the point at which they are affected by it, nobody cares. Like if it took a one or two day special session as it's done in the past, I just don't think normal people care about that. So, you know, whatever it's expected. You've got to, you've got all Democrat control. If you didn't get your work on time, that would have been the story, right? But they've got all Democrat control. As far as having to come back and clean up, you know, I don't know how that'll play out. We, uh, you know, Representative Harry Niska and I, we, you know, Harry is kind of keeping a running total of all of the lawsuits that will likely come out of this legislative session. Um, all of the constitutional problems that are going to come from this legislative session. But how those will play out, I don't know exactly. I think that we will find relatively quickly. Again, um, you know, there's going to be problems with a lot of this legislation. Will we need a special session to deal with it? Who knows? They might clean up right away next session. Um, They might not bother to clean up and just let it play out and see how it goes. That would not surprise me either. So I want to move on to our second topic and break down some of the winners and losers of this legislative session. Um, I'll go through a couple that I have. And if if you guys have others you'd like to add, um, we'll start with winners. Um, I think starting off with 
the trifecta and radical liberals, um, they they won, right? They they got done. You know, we heard about the whiteboard with all the check marks of everything they got done this legislative session. They passed gun controls. They legalized marijuana. They raised taxes. They increased spending in schools. They, I mean, across the board. And and we'll get into kind of the spending spree tax hike specifics here shortly. Um, but large, largely radical liberals in Minnesota in the legislature and the trifecta single party control big winners this session um another one that I did want to tie before I get your guys's input on on who you think winners are um I think the state government uh in the eyes of Democrats and and the size of agencies are on the winning list one thing I've been hearing a lot from friends in in my circles is that I haven't actually seen a lot elsewhere is that the increase in size of state government and the size of these agencies that we're going to be seeing because of legislation that was passed. Um, we're going to have to be hiring new staff for the marijuana legalization for paid family leaves. And these are long-term obligations that we're going to have to continue to pay for, not just one-time money. So, I mean, again, job creators, we are typically applaud them. As, as a Republican myself, I, I don't typically like that job creator to be the government itself. So um, that's on the winning side, but a loser in my mind. Do you guys have any any winners, big winners that you see coming out of this legislative cycle? You are right on. The Democrats use their trifecta and, and they got their win. I am really nervous about what is going to happen to our state coming out of this legislative session. Expand on that if you can. Well, I think, again, it's it's interesting. You know, Walls said just a few years ago, it was Governor Walls who said we the, the Democrats were doing a tax on a, an, an additional cigarette tax. Um, and Walls said that he expected fewer people would smoke because taxation affects behavior. It affects choices and people wouldn't be able to afford it. They wouldn't be able to afford cigarettes anymore. So they would choose not to smoke. Um, now. The Democrats, however, do not apply that same logic to raising taxes on families and businesses because we do that all the time. I represent a border community. And in the in the 10 years prior to me being elected, 18 businesses had actually pulled up stakes out of my county and moved across the river to Wisconsin. These are not businesses that just chose to locate in Wisconsin. They actually pulled up stakes and moved because the costs associated were moving with moving were less than the costs associated with staying in the state of Minnesota and doing business. We are the we are now New Jersey is currently the highest taxed uh, state for businesses in the country. They are dropping one of their taxes in the next year and Minnesota will officially be the worst place in the entire country for businesses. And with so many Fortune 500s, I think there's just this arrogance about de- it with with Democrats that they just think will never lose that, that those businesses are here to stay. But in this in today's day and age of remote work and technology, there's just no reason that that has to happen. And I just think there's this arrogance to think that with all of the taxation, not only on businesses, but on families, there's this arrogance that that this in this belief that people are just going to stay and take it when people just don't have to, and they're going to leave, they're going to leave. And we've seen that. We've seen that outward migration from the state. It's only going to accelerate. 
I view this session, and, and let me answer Becky's question and then offer a perspective that I'll ask of both of you. I do think one of the winners of this legislative session is the DFL and their progressive agenda. I don't agree with all of their agenda. But what I've asked a lot of people is that I think that the state of Minnesota has taken a real shift. The Democrats have done a lot of things to move the trajectory of state government. And my question is, what's going to happen next legislative session? Is what is the DFL going to focus on? Because of so many gains that they made in pursuing their legislative agenda into matching up with their progressive values, what does next session look like? Because the to-do list that they accomplished for their agenda was remarkable. Um, So you have to give them a win, even though I disagree with the winner um, with their policies. But what does next legislative session look like to correct some of these things, or do they advance it even farther? I think they advance it even further. I think there are some policy items that they left on the table that they will bring back next session. You know, for example, um, a, a pretty radical shift to the Equal Rights Amendment. There's going. I suspect that there will be an Equal Rights Amendment on the ballot uh, for the Minnesota State Constitution. Uh, passed next session. And that is no longer an equal rights amendment for women, uh, which which has traditionally been the case. I think that we will see that. I would not be at all surprised if we see um, assisted suicide legislation come forward. I think that from a policy perspective, there is still, um, I think there are plenty of items still on the table for the Democrats to focus on. One of the things that I've heard is a possibility is a constitutional amendment related to abortion to go that additional step. Do you think that that's a possibility? Absolutely. In fact, it's going to show up in the Equal Rights Amendment. The the Democrats do have an Equal Rights Amendment uh, to put on the ballot ready to go. The, the bill is already authored. In fact, it was calendared at the end of session. We were going to hear it on the last day of session. Um, and there is an amendment to the Equal Rights Amendment, uh, giving an explicit right to abortion. So I think that that's where we we will see it. I don't I don't know if they'll pull that out and do a separate amendment just on abortion. I suspect that they will keep it or they will plunk it into the Equal Rights Amendment. Do you think that that amendment? So if they passed it next legislative session, would it be on the ballot in 2024 or 2026? I think they'll put it on in 2024. That's the current language says 2024. So I think that that's what they'll do. Frankly, um, I I have to imagine that it wouldn't be worth the risk for them to wait just in case Republicans win the House back in 2024. They don't want to risk that missed opportunity would be my guess. Um, I want to also make sure we highlight some of the losers this legislative session. Um, there were a lot of them. I think uh, we hit on a couple of those so far. Um, the ones on my list, and if you have any to add, or we can certainly just discuss these a little bit more, but um, chambers of commerce and business owners. Uh, I know we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the taxes and policy changes, um, but a, a lot of pressure is going to be put on some of these um, business leaders, business owners. Um, whether they stay in the state or leave the state, uh, they just have a lot of new taxes that they're going to have to deal with and figure out how how that fits their bottom line and, and their employees. Um, I think moderate Democrats um, and 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 certainly you know centrist, independent, and uh, moderate Republicans. I I consider myself a relatively moderate Republican, so I do agree with some of the things that were passed. But wow, do we have major issues here? Um, and then middle class families. Again, I know 
we're going to chat really what this um, tax increases, these tax hikes really look like for families and individuals as a whole. But I I am very much in the middle class myself and, uh, you know, new mom and and just all of the costs that are already associated with that. And I was have been blown away. I went on a rant last week about um, the child exemptions that were were passed by both chambers and and in both bills and then taken out because it just, you know, they needed more revenue to fit their ridiculous budget. So those are some of my losers that coming out of this legislative session. Do you guys have any losers to add to the to the list or or any feelings on the ones that I shared? I would say any Minnesotan that is just left of center and right anywhere in that spectrum is probably going to uh be pretty disappointed when the the ramifications of this session really start to uh, to roll into place, become law. You know, Becky, you mentioned this child tax credit and minis- and and middle class families. They the Democrats are touting this massive child tax credit that they put into place. It starts phasing out at thirty five thousand dollars per married couple. That does not help middle class families. It does not. So so it sounds really good. You hear this huge tax credit up front and then you look at the details and the devil is always in the details. Middle class families are not going to see that benefit. Unfortunately, that's a great point to give some further perspective on the losers. I would agree with Becky's list. Chamber of Commerce, moderate Democrats, uh, middle class Minnesotans. I would also argue as someone like myself who considers them to be center right, more probably more to the center than some people would think, uh, but a center right. I don't think there was a lot of give and take on policy this session. One of the concerns I have about the marijuana uh, legislation is a big advocate for safe drives and safe roads. And I'm concerned about people getting behind the wheel of a motor vehicle. I have a couple teenage kids that are getting close to driving and I'm concerned about there being more impaired drivers on the road, people that are high driving. And I don't know that there was enough reason and accommodation made towards that. I think there needs, if there was an, an aspect of the state where I think needs to be invested in is the drivers that are intoxicated and impaired in any type of way. So I have concerns about that. But from the trajectory, I think what I see from this session is there's not a lot of give and take on the majority side. And they did win. To the winner goes the spoils. To the winner goes the victories. But I don't see a lot of examples, and I would be curious to get your perspective, uh, Representative. I don't see a lot of examples of where they took uh, bill language or they worked with Republicans in a collaborative way. I'd like to get your perspective, at least from my perspective. I think I don't want to speak for Becky, but I think we've generally noted in previous episodes the lack of congeniality between the the, the caucuses. We had former Senator um, Michelle Benson on, which was a fantastic interview. And she discussed a lot of that same collegiality between the minority and majority parties. But I do want to get your perspective on and whether you saw examples that we may have missed of the Democrats maybe accepting Republican language or working with them in a good-hearted, collaborative way. The last thing you said is is the key there, in a good-hearted, collaborative way. And frankly, I, I'm going to give one notable exception, a personal example for me. But I would say that was the problem across the board, is, is that that was lacking. And in fact, there was real frustration this session that um, that Democrat members were completely unwilling to 
use their own moral compass and make their own decisions. Anytime they would have a, a or, or we thought there was a good faith conversation between Republicans and Democrats, uh, we were always thwarted because they'd have to go back and talk to the advocates, the advocates. I can't tell you how many times we heard this. We, we could talk about things that everybody agreed. Yep, this is something that needs to be fixed. This is something that needs to change. But I got to talk to the advocates. And if the advocates weren't on board, didn't happen. Even if we all agreed that, yeah, it made sense, it need to, needed to change. I will tell you from a personal perspective, from, from a personal uh, example, I, I had a very good experience working with Representative Athena Hollins. We worked actually on a couple of pieces of legislation together. One is um, is uh, sacred settlements as a as a piece of the puzzle with homelessness to create um, these small communities, uh, faith based communities, really where people from faith communities are, will will live and and work with. Um, people in chronic homelessness. So that's something that we worked on together. I'm really excited about that. Um, the other thing that we worked on closely together was conversion therapy, the conversion therapy ban. Um, and I know as a Republican, there are mixed feelings on this, but I have a very strong conviction. My overarching guiding principle is we should not mess around with kids. Full stop. That should be our position. And that is my very consistent position when it comes to uh, medical gender transition for kids. Shouldn't happen. It's it's my position on um, no parental even notification for minors when they have an abortion. Uh, that shouldn't happen. We should stop messing around with kids. And conversion therapy is is a part of that for me. Um, and to to Representative Holland's credit, she didn't have to work with me, right? They've got they've got a trifecta. They've got all the votes they need. She did not have to spend a minute talking to me about that bill. But not only did she spend a lot of time with me, she um, she took an amendment that was really important to me, and that was to make sure that we very clearly defined this conversion therapy ban to licensed therapists in an official therapist client relationship. Well, I appreciate you sharing that, especially um, I, I love to hear your answer on both of those. But the homelessness factor, I think a lot of times um, we've talked a little bit about how Republicans are never really going to be known as the most compassionate uh, party. And and I think a lot of times people look at Republicans saying, you know, Republicans hate the homeless, homeless. We're not going to do anything to help. And and so I really appreciate your efforts there. And and I appreciate that uh, Representative Hollins was willing and, and did work with you on that. I think it's it's great for both of you. And so I appreciate your efforts and sharing that story. I do want to move into what I think will probably be uh, the largest part of our conversation, or, or at least lots to talk about here, is uh, the overall spending. Uh, we want to break down the spending spree and tax hikes, um, both of which are huge. So starting with the overall size of the budget, largest in the state's history coming in, uh, from what I understand, at $72 billion over the next two years. Um, and, and for folks who might not be aware, uh, the budgets are, are done on bienniums over two years. Um, my, uh, For reference, what I have found is the last state budget was about $52 billion, so uh, in a significant increase. Um, 
It's about a 40% increase. It's crazy. It's wild. Now, I was told there I would be no math. Yes, no math. Hey, this is going to be, there's going to be a lot of numbers. So coming at you here. Um, I, 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 for one, I'll let you guys speak for yourselves, but I did anticipate that the the Democrats and and the single party control was going to be spending the entirety of the surplus. I did not expect necessarily for them to go above that. Was that, was this a shock for you, representative, that they went as far as they did when it came to spending the surplus and some? It was, it was absolutely wild. And in fact, for most of the session, we kept talking about this huge surplus, huge surplus. And finally, towards the end of the session, I'm like, you know what? We're not talking about an $18 billion surplus. We're talking about an $18 billion surplus plus over $10 billion in taxes and fees. We are talking about an almost additional 30 billion dollars on this budget. I mean, it is wild. It is wild. And you know, part of the problem too is even when the Democrats talk about about um tax relief, you know, air quotes tax relief, a lot of that, that tax that quote tax relief is done in the form of refundable tax credits. A refundable credit means that you get that payment regardless of whether you have actually paid any taxes or not. It is not tax relief. It's just redistribution. It is just giving you money because you check certain boxes. It's, and that box is not, is not that you paid taxes. So it's not actually tax relief. In addition to that, you know, I, I want to come back to, to both that, but to start with, the walls checks. We were, you know, walls came out. He was promising his walls checks. We were going to each get $2,000, then $1,000. And now it works out to $260 for those of you who qualify, which I believe is 75,000 individual, 150,000 married couple, $260. And technically $260 of our money. This is money that we were overtaxed in the first place. But only, you know, of a small portion of Minnesotans are going to get what I would say a puny $260, correct? Yeah, many of whom did not uh, pay that in taxes. They didn't pay the $260 in taxes, but they're going to get a check. It's, 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 it's silliness. With as much money, it, it, it's honestly, it is silly money what we are talking about. The surplus itself, $18 billion, that is silly money. Like nobody can actually wrap their head around that and conceive of that much money. And so to think that that Minnesotans are getting back a measly $260 in in this check is silliness. But frankly, what's even more unconscionable is like I said, they're, you know, they're giving us this this quote tax relief, but it's being offset by billions and dollars of dollars in new taxes. Like it's not even close. The tax relief we're going to experience is going to be completely eclipsed by all of the new taxes that we're going to be paying. Minnesotans are going to be really hurt by this budget. Becky, do you have something to say that you bring up usually every show? I mean, do you feel responsible, Michael? You endorse Governor Walls. um, (laughs) here's, Here's what I would say. First of all, I believe having watched closely monitored the last election cycle and been somewhat paying attention to the legislative session. I do not believe that the Democrats campaigned on this agenda. I do not believe they litigated with the voters the record that they wanted to pursue and that voters supported that. I do think there are going to be a number of examples 
where Democrats like Governor Walls are going to be held to what they said during the campaign trail versus what they delivered. I think they went much farther in their agenda than they campaigned. I do not believe that the agenda that the Democrats passed is reflective of where on a lot of issues where Minnesotans are. And I do have a question for representative is one of the topics that one of the subjects that Becky and I have discussed is the speed of this session and the aggressiveness. And we talked about this months ago, weeks ago, one of our arguments that we made, and I'd like to get your perspective on this is we believe that one of the scenarios or one of the reasons why the Democrats were pursuing this agenda so quickly now, and I don't want to get too much off topic. I want to hear your take on the budget takes too, but is because they're putting as much distance as possible between when they cast these votes and the electorate. Do you agree with that? I mean, yes, I, I, yes, that is true. On the flip side though, a lot of these policies, they, they, they also push the dates out so that a lot of these things are not going to really be implemented until after the next election. So they did both. One, they're trying to put distance on the front end, but they're also putting distance on the back end. They're not, they're making sure that they are not held accountable by the electorate by pushing these these implementation dates out. So a lot of this stuff, Minnesotans aren't going to feel the effects of it until after the next election. Now, the exception to that is a lot of this taxation is going to go into place quickly and people are going to find very quickly that um, living living their everyday lives in the state of Minnesota just became much more expensive. You know, I saw a, a tweet from uh, Kurt Doubt that said that the average taxpayer is going to be paying approximately $3,500 more annually because of these tax hikes. Um, in total, like you mentioned, just under $10 billion over the next four years in new taxes, um, gas tax increase, sales tax hike in the metro, tab fees, delivery fees, which we can get into the fee versus tax another time. I'm, they're all tax increases, right? Um, and so the one thing that I am most surprised, or maybe you can answer this. We we talked a little bit about the child tax credit phasing out at $35,000 you know, single mom making $17 an hour doesn't qualify or is is not going to qualify for that. But I've seen all over Twitter over the last couple of days, Democrats claiming that they're, they made the biggest tax cut in Minnesota history. Now, I've done a lot of reading. I, I keep up with my news, my newsletters, seen some, oh, sure, minimal cuts here and there, but by and large, overall tax hike. I, I, am I missing something? Is there is there a huge monumental tax cut that that we're seeing or is this you know spin and just fudging the numbers and 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 things like this minimal child tax credit that that they're claiming is this massive biggest tax cut in Minnesota history this is 100% spin uh from from the democrats and like i said a lot of this is refundable credits that people get whether they paid taxes or not that's not tax relief that's just that's just giving you a payment. That's not tax relief. Uh, so part of it is that, but they call that a tax cut, even though it's not. And again, you know, the, the total tax bill here, just for comparison's sake, the total tax bill is three billion dollars. That includes um, an increase in the Social Security tax exemption. We did not get the 100% exemption for Social Security tax, which frankly is a broken promise by the Democrats. Um, that includes the minimal tax relief we got. But in that $3 billion, that's also local government aid. 
to our cities. It's county program aid to our counties. It's this refundable, these refundable tax credits. All these things are counted in that $3 billion. So only a tiny fraction of that $3 billion is actual legitimate tax relief. And then we've got $10 billion of tax increases to offset. Like it is, it is such a silly wordplay to say that they've, that this is somehow the largest uh, uh, reduction in taxes in history. Like that is nonsense. Do you think that the Democrats, um, I've noticed them pushing the tax credits, I mean, the tax cut line, um, the WCCO recently did a, did a story in the last, I think, 24 or 12 hours talking about the fact that while Democrats are touting this large tax increase, taxes will go up for a, a lot of Minnesotans. Do you, th- what's the, what's the truth in advertising that needs to be pointed out about this claim related to uh, tax increases versus tax cuts? Well, Becky quoted Kurt Doubt's tweet. He is exactly right. The average Minnesota taxpayer, now again, this is average. It's It's going to apply differently to everybody, but the average Minnesota taxpayer is going to pay $3,500 more in taxes. The the thought that these minuscule tax cuts, uh, they are completely not just offset, completely eclipsed by all of the tax increases in this bill. So you do this teeny tiny little income tax decrease, but then you tax every other area of a person's life. Uh, well, they still can't afford to live. They still can't afford their bills when you're taking all that money out of their pocket. Absolutely. I mean, this just comes down to, again, the Democrats thinking they can spend our money better than we can, that any family that likes to go on vacation or a road trip or, you know, is going to be paying more and is just really unfortunate of how much more after all of this inflation and, you know, troubles that we're, we're just seeing in the economy. Um, thankfully, the price of eggs is down, I guess. We'll, we'll take our wins where we can get them. So one thing I want to transition now into is the breakdown of breaking down where Republicans go from here. Right. So we have like we talked about, there's an election cycle coming up. Um, we we have another session coming up and, and we have now, you know, the next six months or, or so before, you know, eight months, I guess, maybe uh, before the next legislative session really, really kicks up. What are both? Um, let, let's just start there. Maybe maybe even looking back, what where did Republicans push hard? Where were our wins with negotiating and what is left on the table for bargaining chips next session that we can hopefully, you know, again, maybe come out with some wins there, which I loved your face there. I, I, I think it's I think it's really tough from that perspective. Um, you know, the reality is when you do not when you when you are not in power in in either chamber uh, you don't have the governor's mansion. When you do not have any of those things, you ultimately have very little power. At the you know my my freshman term, my my seatmate was Paul Torkelson, and he had a little post-it note he kept in his desk that said sixty-eight. And when I would start to get fired up about stuff and irritated, he would just pull out that post-it note and set it on my desk because we had sixty-eight votes, and it didn't matter what anybody else said because we had the votes to pass whatever we wanted to pass. That's the position the Democrats are in. They literally don't have to have a conversation with us. But, you know, part of the problem is, you know, typically 
sort of the chit that that the minority party has is is in bonding because Democrats need our votes for a bonding bill. And so you can sort of use that a little bit as a chit. Um, But, you know, you're a little limited in in what you can do with that. Um, Democrats are still going to push through their agenda for the most part. You kind of just have the ability to fiddle around the edges a little bit. And certainly we need to make use of that. But as far as as far as any real power to to negotiate, um, we're very limited. We're very limited. It's tough. And again, aside from the example that you that you kind of recognized and acknowledges, which was a which was a was a great story, and I'm glad you shared it. There wasn't just doesn't seem to be a lot of examples where Republicans were invited with the Democrats to have there be a consensus on this stuff. It seems to me that they decided we won the election. We have a trifecta. This is our chance. This is our opportunity to reframe state government in the way that we envisioned it through our progressive agenda. And we're going to take it and just ride it out. That's that's exactly right. And in fact, even, even those situations where Democrats would have conversations with Republicans, typically it was just to school us. It was not, it was, it was not a good faith uh, conversation to come to a better product. It was just an opportunity for them to tell us why they were right and how their position was so superior to our own. So, I mean, for the most part, that's how this went down. And and I don't anticipate a real change in that. You know, the only, um, the unfortunate part about, about that, and, and we've said this on the floor many times, the, the reality is 48% of this state votes Democrat, or excuse me, voted Republican in the last election, whether for state House representatives, uh, statewide races, whatever it may be, 48% of our electorate is Republican. And all of those voices were shut out. All of those voices were shut out of the process. And that's that's the real unfortunate part of, of neglecting to see the other side. We just, I mean, I get it. There's, there's, there's lots of debate, right? Is Minnesota, are we, are we light blue? Are we purple? Are we dark blue? Where are we on that spectrum? Um, but regardless of where exactly you think we are, a lot of Minnesotans were shut. So you did mention, uh, you know, kind of the, I don't want to call them shady tactics, but I'm going to call them shady tactics that Democrats did where a lot of these bills are not actually being enacted or implemented until after the 2024 election cycle. So we don't really feel their pain or or see all of the chaos that they're going to cause. In advance of that, what is being done? I mean, I you come from a political operative background and, you know, that's that's where my experience and, and career has been. What is going to be done? What can we do? Um, are conversations being had looking forward to that 2024 cycle of how we can remind voters what Democrats did and how we can remind voters that this is going to be hitting their, them in their checkbook? This is going to be impacting their day to day lives um, and that they should vote accordingly and and hopefully swing that pendulum back um because obviously the house is is going to be up and and we'd like to take control back of you know and that trifecta yeah exactly and and that's really our challenge and and there are as you guys know i mean we're all sort of political operatives here talking today i mean as you guys know 
this is not an easy challenge to overcome because people vote based on their lives today. People that that's really how people vote. And and we can have extensive conversations about the last election and my theories on the last election because of that. Um, but we I think we are really going to have to to focus on and figure out what exactly what is having an impact today. And I don't know that we really know that yet. I don't know that we really have a good idea of um, of how Minnesotans are going to be impacted immediately. But it's going to be our job to point that out relentlessly. That's going to be our job is to make sure that Minnesotans don't forget, one, what is happening to them in real time, and two, who did it to them. Um, I also know that you, um, I believe, still do or at least recently did sit on the board of MEPS, the the Minnesota in Ex- or Excellence in Public Service, recruiting Republican women, conservative women to run for office at all levels. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your experience in that recruiting? We've talked a lot about the issues of um recruitment of Republican candidates and and hopefully, you know, in 2026, we're, we're getting some good ones ready for governor, um, but maybe a little bit of what you're seeing and hopefully bringing some more Republican women um, forward for to run for office in 2024. I'm so glad you bring this up. This is my favorite topic. <laughs> you know, I mean, Republican women, women across the board are still uh, significantly lagging in electoral representation, right? Across the country, Congress, different states, whatever, it's women represent about or hold about 30% of um, elected positions across the country. I will tell you, the Republican caucus in the Minnesota State Senate has three women out of 33, 10%. It is abysmal. Our caucus is a little bit better. We're at about 30%, but that is because of a really concerted effort. Um, and I'm proud to say a really concerted effort on my part. Uh, and our former deputy leader, or excuse me, our for, former uh, leader, Kurt Doubt, was really supportive of making sure that we had women on the ballot. And he was very supportive of me in making sure that happened. But I'll tell you what, I, I will never forget sitting uh, in, in the office when the day that the redistricting maps came out. So now we know what all of our districts are. And, and a, it's me and a bunch of men sitting in a room and we are literally burning up the phones, calling folks. You know, we've had we've we've already been thinking about some candidates, obviously. And finally, I just had to say, you guys, stop. Stop calling men. We've got plenty of men running and we have really good, strong women who will be incredibly not only representatives for their communities, they will be strong campaigners and they will be strong legislators. They will be able to step into this body and do good work. Um, and we have to focus on that, not because we're checking boxes. I have zero interest in checking boxes. However, it will be a benefit to Republicans across the state and it will be, be a benefit to all Minnesotans if if we have voices at the table with different experiences. And that's what we need. That's why it matters. I completely agree. I also think just a different perspective in a lot of ways on things that, you know, there's division of of burdens and labor in, in all families. Um, and, you know, especially when it comes to the finances. And I think sometimes, you know, 
some men, you know, control the grocery list and and buying the supplies for the children in the home and some women do. And I think, you know, with these day-to-day factors impacting our bottom lines as families across the state, I think that's a really good input. Um, and I don't know if it was you or somebody else I heard from um, or, or read an article recently uh, within the last year or so of how sometimes women need to be asked a little bit more than men to step up and do that. And I think what you have done and and this organization has been really instrumental in getting women to maybe push away that imposter syndrome a little bit and, and step up and step into these, you know, prepare themselves for these kind of things. So um, I just want to applaud and I think that's fantastic. So um, I'm grateful for your efforts there. And, uh, you know, we hope to have you back at some point as we maybe can break down the legislature, the, the campaign cycle a little bit more from, you know, putting our political hat on and, and really what that looks like, how, uh, hopefully Michael and I can be helpful in reminding Minnesotans, um, some of these things that are passed. And, um, you know, we've had uh, Chairman Han on and, and working with different organizations to make sure that message gets driven home. So we're, cautiously optimistic i want to say let's let's get there to optimistic we're we're gonna do something we've never done before a couple weeks ago we started our the food fight with broadcorp and becky and this week we've asked our guest representative new brindley to join us on our food fight so i i hope you're ready this gets a little a little crazy representative i've seen lots of twitter activity around your food fights if I can have the floor for just a second to, to intro this subject, my podcasting uh, co-host, uh, we have a lot of offline discussions about the food takes and what we're going to discuss. So we discussed last week what we're going to do for this topic. And this topic this week is breakfast. I assumed, because I assumed she's a normal human being, that she would talk about breakfast cereals. But unfortunately, what transpired is that my co-host, Becky Share does not eat cereal. She also disclosed to me in a really concern about her health, discussed that she hadn't had a glass of milk in 18 years. And so she hasn't had a glass of milk in 18 years. So this, I, we did soda last week. Uh, I consider myself to be somewhat of a soda expert. I'm a, this list is breakfast. I will disclose in the interest of transparency that I discussed my list with my wife in advance. And she said, your list sucks. And you're going to get a lot of a lot of heat for your list. So we'll go through this, but I do want to set the table for our listeners that my co-host has not had a glass of milk in 18, 18 years, and she doesn't eat breakfast cereal. Just, I mean, throwing right under the leave, bus here, Representative. If you're so offended that you want to cancel and just get out of the segment right now, I completely understand. <laughs> I understand this is probably shocking for you. You need a few minutes to compress. I understand. If you want to leave, I understand. But I hope you, despite of what you've heard, you stick with the show for a little bit longer. I'm thinking, Becky, do you know how much spinach you have to eat to make up for the calcium in a glass of milk? <laughs> I take my daily vitamins, right? I take my calcium pills. We're, we're good. I eat lots of cheese and Greek yogurt and, you know, cottage cheese across the board. But, man, cereal, I feel like it makes my teeth feel funny, rips up the roof of my mouth, and milk. I just – it can never be quite cold enough in my mind. and. I love milk. I love milk and cold cereal. But cold cereal, now I I rarely eat cereal as a breakfast food. It's like it's like my treat. Like I I call it treat cereal. Like those good sugary cereals. That's like evening snack. Mm. All right. So how do we want to let's you how do you want to start? 
We're going to start. I, I, why don't I, I'll, I'll start with mine and then I'll let you guys fight over who wants to go second here. I will start by saying breakfast is my favorite meal of the day. I do we very often in my family do brinner, you know, breakfast for dinner. It's a big thing. Um, so my first one's a little generic, but it's basically breakfast sandwiches of all sorts. I like Jimmy Dean delights, you know, frozen, throw it in the microwave. I like a sausage McMuffin. Once a week on my way into the office on Monday mornings when I was pregnant, I would treat myself. I'd drop the dog off at doggy daycare and get a McDonald's breakfast sandwich. Best part of my pregnancy every Monday morning. I've had to stop, unfortunately, but flat out breakfast sandwich. A representative, what's your first pick? Well, it's a it's a little bit of a trick question because like, what is the very best or what do I actually have? Because pretty much every day for breakfast, I, ju- I have a protein shake and a banana, which I know is not very exciting. It's not the best, but it's what I have almost every day. I'm adding that because- to your apple file. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So it's not, I mean, respectfully, it's not complicated. What's number one? So that's number one for you. It's what I have almost every day. However, like if it's like a Saturday and we're and we're doing like family breakfast Saturday morning, I'm actually very specifically, I'm going to Village Inn and I'm having the Village Inn breakfast with two eggs over medium, a sausage patty, not links. I want a sausage patty. That is the <laughs> superior form of sausage. <clears throat> I will have uh, two pieces of French toast because French toast is the superior breakfast bread product as opposed to pancakes or waffles. And um, uh, I will do hash browns extra crispy. That's fantastic. I love the specificity. You are made for this food diet. I know my order. So I'm going to go with donuts. Number one donuts. I'm a donut guy. Uh, And and if I could be specific, uh, Cub Foods in Minnesota is my favorite donuts in in Iowa where I go to frequently there's a donut there's a donut place called Wyman Spud Nuts it's in uh it's in Lake Okoboji Iowa hands down the best donuts but if I could pick my breakfast for the rest of my life it would be donuts but like what kind of donut are you a filled donut frosted sugared well I'm like I'm a glazed apple fritter and then generally like a jelly filled type of donut I'll occasionally if I've I've feel I've earned it I'll do a chocolate glazed but that's where I'll go. That's my that's my donut. But I love donuts. I can't do that sweetness. I, I've got to have some savory for breakfast. I can't just do straight up sugar for breakfast. Although I'm not going to lie, I have a donut sitting right next to me that my brother or that my husband brought me from Herman's Bakery in Cambridge this morning, and that is that's what fantastic. my breakfast will be today. Yes, I love that. For the record, can I can I call out the fact that um, it, we are taping this the day after session has concluded, and by your breakfast, you mean it's afternoon already? I did. As soon as I said that, I went, oh, look, it's one o'clock, and I'm talking about the breakfast I'm going to have. That's great. Oh, you, we, you, I, I hope you, that means you spent your morning resting and recovering, so that, that's a good call. Uh, let's move on to number two. My number two is what I refer to as garbage eggs. Now, eggs are the best because you can put anything in them. It's a good clean out the fridge. We got some sauteed veggies. We got some cheese. We got some meat of some sort. We're going to throw it in and make a delicious scrambled eggs 
situation. It's my favorite. I make it all the time. Terrible. Just that's not terrible. Although it's a little much. I don't I don't I don't like food to touch generally. And so that's a lot going into one space. I typically don't either, but eggs are one. I mean, it has to be stuff that go – like, I'm not going to put, like, you know, like, barbecued beef in my – you know, it, it, we we got some limits. My that's, next would just be <laughs> – my next is just scrambled eggs with a little sautéed onion and some sharp cheddar cheese. Yum. Delish. Very simple. I have no comment. Um, mine uh, next one is – so I'm going to go – this is going to be a run of cereal. Uh, waffle crisp is my favorite cereal. Waffle crisp. It is, it's fantastic. Waffle crisp is uh little waffles, uh, maple syrup flavored. It's fantastic. The sugar content's off the sugar contents off the chart, but it's fantastic. I love it. In fact, uh, it disappeared for a number of years. It was just recently released a few months ago. I went on like a bunch of late night scavenger hunts to try to find it. Finally found it at my local cup foods. I love it. What what is the is this post is this General Mills what are, what are we I believe it's post interesting never heard of it yeah it right. doesn't surprise me based on your 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 disdain for cereal my number three um also I I go to donuts uh, number three this is again uh, probably my number two pregnancy craving and um. My husband would occasionally work on Saturdays. I would every Saturday he was out of the house. I would text him that the baby wants donuts, and he would come home with donuts and apple fritters. I mean, hey, join you. That's my top choice. Representative number three, number three would uh, would probably be biscuits and gravy. Mm. But it's got to be good biscuits and gravy, like homemade. Wow. I make good biscuits and gravy. Did you two talk offline and work this up? Because you're both picking much more savory than sweet. 100% savory breakfast. I'm with Yes, you. for sure. Now, that's not to say donuts will certainly hit my list. But mostly, I'm, I'm saying, although I said I have almost every day, I have a protein shake and, and a banana. So it's, not, it's kind of in between, right? Um, I'm going to invite myself over for homemade biscuits and gravy at some point. I didn't even think to put them on my list. So I'm not going to fudge my list now, but delish so uh, my number three is uh captain crunch and crunch berries I, I just i love it it's absolutely and i understand there's a there's an urban legend out there that it hurts the top of your mouth i heard so oh, it kills uh, me but, but i it, will i will suffer for it because it's so good however i don't understand the crunch berries i'm all in on captain crunch my favorite cereal but i i've never understood the crunch berries they don't work for me I yes, it's, fan- it's it's a nice addition. And sometimes, again, when I'm feeling I've earned it, I will get an oops all berry box, which is just the crunch berries. No. I did tell my husband this was our topic this week, and his number one cereal is also Captain Crunch. So you got a supporter in the share household. That's fantastic. It's nice to know there's some reason and logic there. <laughs> number four, I'm going with just delicious old pancakes with butter and syrup. Can't beat them. Pretty good. It's not bad. Again, I think you're. I'm surprised by the thought you put into your list um, because uh, there's a lot more um, sugar in there than I would have thought. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's still terrible. But it- pancakes are just so boring to me. When you could have French toast or or a waffle, either either one, but really French toast is the best. Um, my number four is probably a donut. However, I want a good. Um, Bavarian custard filled chocolate frosted. Nice. Um, and actually, County Market 
has the best uh, Bismarck. So good. So good. That's fantastic. Good pick there. My number four is this is going to, this is my only sweet, my only quote unquote savory edition. Uh, it's Hormel canned cor- corned beef, corned beef hash. I love it. Looks like dog food. It comes out of a can. Uh, I absolutely love it. Um, a great can of it. It's, I mean, it's riddled with, it's riddled with, it's high in fat, high in every yep. available thing. Uh, I can have it basically once a month, but when I have it, I just love it. It's fantastic. It's in a can, Hormel corned beef hash. And, and, do you fry and, it up and crisp it up a little bit at least? Of course I do. <laughs> um, uh, I cook it up and fry it. Sometimes, sometimes I'll occasionally throw in an egg, but what I'll probably have to do is I'll, I have to balance it out with some level of sweetness on something else. I can't do it. Interesting. Um, I do love your. It has. We've yet to have a list without a Minnesota company making that for Michael. He is loyal <laughs> to those state brands. I, I appreciate nope. that. All right, moving on to number five. I mean, girl from the Midwest. I'm all about some sort of breakfast potato hash browns. Got to be crispy, like Representative said. But man, they can go on the side of pretty much anything. If I go to a place. And I can get good old, big old pile of hash browns or breakfast potatoes, seasoned, salted up, and crispy. Delish. I swear, Michael, we did not plan this. But my number five is fried potatoes. Collusion. I'm calling collusion right now. I would do it at home. There is a collusion between a host and a guest. Not happening again. Listen. No way. You know what? We clearly know what is best. I think yeah. that's the lesson from this is that we actually objectively understand truth here. But I'm talking fried potatoes. Um, and what you do is you, you got to cut them up, cube them, whatever, stick them in the microwave and soften them up for a few minutes. And then we'll saute the onion with the potatoes in the frying pan to really, but they have to be really crispy and just straight salt and pepper, nothing else. So good. Yeah, like a, I like a good seasoned salt on theirs, but those are mine oh, too. Yeah, and that can I'm work. Al- I've always got a potato around, so it's one of those things you don't know what you have. It's a winner every time. Never sad. I'm labeling. I'm labeling this episode explicit because I think people should be warned before they listen to it. This <laughs> is what I'm doing. Um. Now here's my number five. Now let me be. Let me be. Let me offer you my truth. Uh, I do not have donuts. I don't have donuts. Waffle crisp. Captain Crunch and Crunch Berries and uh, corned beef hash very rarely, maybe once or twice a month. My daily breakfast is is the following: Greek yogurt, blueberry and raspberries, and granola. I eat it every day. That's right. good because it's fair. good for you. Blueberries warm, and raspberries. Blueberries and, and raspberries are superfruits. A Greek yogurt is good for you, and granola just for a little bit of texture. But that's my main breakfast. Well, now I'm much less worried about your health, at least. Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate that, Representative. <laughs> well, this is I think oh. I think we've I think we have uh I'm glad, somewhat glad that we introduced this. We invited a guest into this this segment of our show. I think it's gonna be a hit. I hope our listeners are not offended by the collusion that clearly occurred before the show and that the by fact the they worked this we out speak. in advance. Yes, the truth is we, we can speak, have discovery yes. of our text message, Jane. It really nothing of the sort. That's right. Well, I, I'm an representative. Open book. It, was, it was. I'm glad that. Uh, and as I noted, uh, a lot of this conversation will be in my updated Apple file on you. Yeah, we'll see. Yes. 
so grateful for you joining us today, giving so much of your time. I know it's been an exhausting um, couple of weeks, but even the last few months, and you've had to endure a lot and still work tirelessly for, for all of us. So we appreciate your time. Hope you get some rest. Hope you get some time with the family and a vacation. And uh, we hope to have you back. Thank you. And thanks for what you guys are doing. This is great. Representative, thank you so much. Um, I think we will have you back. Uh, we got to discuss seclusion off air, but I, you've been fantastic. And you've been, you were just, this legislative session, you were a, a constant, strong voice. And uh, it was it was great to follow your your perspective, your debate. Where can people follow you uh, on social media if they want to learn more, not about your bad food takes, but your legislative work and other things that you're doing? Whatever. On on Twitter, I am I was I was recently hacked, so I'm rebuilding Twitter at uh, a new Brindley N E U Brindley. Um, and then on Facebook at Representative Ann New Brindley, you can friend me at Ann New Brindley. Whatever. I'm wonderful. all over the place. Wonderful. I think I'm very Googleable, for better or worse. <laughs> well, wonderful. Well, we thank you so much for joining us and we look forward to have you on again in the future, okay? Thank you. That was once again another fantastic interview. I, I think Representative New Brindley is an absolute asset for Republicans, center-right voters at the state capitol. I hope that that she continues to have the same grit and determination that she showed this legislative session. If you're a center-right voter, if you're a party operative, if you're a partisan Republican activist, or you're just a an average centrist-to-right voter or centrist voter, uh, you need to follow Representative Ann Bridley on social media and follow her. She is the voice of I think the, where the majority of Minnesotans are on a lot of issues, uh, I think she has tremendous statewide potential as a candidate, but I certainly hope in, in the following sessions, if she chooses to just stay in the Minnesota legislature, that we hear more of her because she's just fantastic. Completely agree. She's done really great things in her time and service in the House. Um, she's been a very great voice for for Republicans, for families, for parents. Um, and, and I hope we continue to see more. I would also uh, concur. I would love to see her um, go bigger and, and do more. Um, and I and I hope we get to have her on again. I think she seems open to that and, and to chat more about. Um, I, I'd love to hear some stories from working on Chip Kravak's race. Again, you know, she helped take down um, uh, Oberstar. This, the 8th Congressional District had been blue for almost eight decades, and and she was instrumental in that win. Um, we'd love to see. Uh, maybe maybe she can give us some tips of the trade of, of how we can do that on a statewide level and, and, and bring some more Republican success here across the board. But uh, she's fantastic, and, and we're certainly grateful that she is in the legislature, um, fought the good fight and uh, gave us some time here today. I thought it was, I thought you gave a great question on maps, which is important to highlight. I will also say I was deputy chair when she was managing Kravac's race and she is a fantastic tactician and strategy. A tremendous amount of work went into defeating Congressman Oberstar. Uh, you always do your show prep well and you've got the years pegged right how long it was, it was controlled by the DFL, but that was a huge win in 2010 and she helmed the she was at the head of the campaign she was in charge of that operation she did a fantastic job and so it's good to see sometimes to have elected officials that are elected who have that tactical campaign experience and that's a, just another reason as you as we've discussed 
she needs to, her voice needs to be elevated more. I just think she's fan, did a great job. Her food, to, her food no. takes were garbage. Her food takes were garbage. Um, but uh, she did a great job. You, you stole my transition. I was going to use her food takes um, to transition into uh, the Tweet of the Week. Similar to the wonderful food takes of Representative New Brindley, I am doing a Tweet of the Week of somebody else that has wonderful food takes. Um, DJ Walter, Daniel Walter, Tweeted this weekend, sensible ham and eggs at West Des Moines number three High V in honor of Allery RL, who has the best food takes of the BB break pod. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. That's all you need to know. It's a f- yes. Uh, one of the few times you've got accolades on your list. Um, <laughs> I've heard from sources on social media that it's Councilman Walter's birthday today, so we should acknowledge that. I also will note um, we've reached out to him to see if he would be on. And... Uh, my hope is to get him in the hot seats to talk about what occurred to, to lead to such bad t- food takes in his life. Uh, Dan, in all sincerity, um, is just a fantastic guy. He uh, just a great, just a great man, decent man. He worked for Governor Palenti. Um, on a personal note, um, I had a book event in Iowa once for my book, and he showed up because he was in the area, nice. and it was so nice of him to do. But he's he is an absolute gentleman. Aside from his food takes, knowledgeable. He's a great person to follow on social media. So uh, I'm actually proud of you for highlighting that. You did good work. My tweet of the week is to Rich Newmeister. I don't know if you know who Rich Newmeister is, but Rich Newmeister is, way back. is a fantastic citizen advocate for data privacy at the state legislature. Um, he is just a citizen who uh, all Minnesotans should know his work and what he does. And he tweeted out uh, a day ago. He said, "Quote: What are you doing to? Do, what are you going to do, Rich? After the MN ledge, the Minnesota Legislature is done." And he said, "Quote: Summer of 100 data requests." Interesting note for our listeners that the Minnesota Legislature is not subject to the Data Practices Act, so I assume he means the administration uh, to figure out what happened. But Rich is a, a citizen activist. A citizen does a great yeoman's work on data requests and social media uh, and to the general public. Uh, and he's just a fantastic guy to follow. And so I would encourage our listeners to follow him at, at Rich Newmeister, at Rich Newmeister on Twitter. And we'll link to I it uh, after the he show. Does, he does great work. He, um, yeah, man, it's not a, a job for the faint of heart. And and he certainly is in there. Uh, I, I know him, familiar with him from back in my time at the legislature back in 2011-12 and, and some work on the Environment Committee. So I, I love the shout out. That's great. Thank you so much. I want to thank you for listening to The Breakdown with Broadcorp and Becky. Before we go, uh, could you share some love for your favorite podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts? Or on the platform where you listen. You can also leave a review at our website at bbbreakpod.com. We're also at Twitter at, at bbbreakpod. That's at bbbreakpod. Uh, the breakdown with Broadcorn Becky will return next week. Have a great Memorial Day weekend. Thank you, Becky. Thank you. Bye.